Um, we're going uh, to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 this morning. So if you want to um, open your Bibles and go there now, we're going to read through the whole of Genesis chapter 12 um, in two, two parts this morning. But let me just say this. We're going to be looking at this story of Abraham over the next few weeks. And my encouragement to you, if we want to be a church that sees God work, if we want awakening in our city that first begins in us, and this is the place that God is going to speak to you and address you. And so I want to encourage you to, to read through this narrative, read through the story of Abraham three times in the next couple of months as we walk through this journey. And ask that God would speak to you and reveal himself to you and help you grow in your faith and know what it looks like to walk by faith. So can I issue that challenge? Read this. Maybe use this as your text for triplets over the next three months as we walk through this journey. And ask that God would speak to you and develop faith and grow faith in you. So I'm going to pray. We're going to read Genesis chapter 12, the first 10 verses right now. And, um, and this is God's word. God speaks to us through this. So let's pray that he would do that now by his spirit. God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. And Lord, we want to come now expectant that you will address us as your word is unpacked, as we sit humbly underneath it. God, we pray that by your spirit, you would nurture faith in our hearts, that you would nurture obedience in our lives, that you would help us to know what it looks like to live in that gap between your promises and our current experience. God, we want to still ourselves now amidst the busyness of our week and say we're ready, we're expectant. Please work by your Spirit. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and those who agreed said, Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Marah. Now at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel to the, on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Put your hand up if you are a first-generation immigrant here in this room. 
first generation immigrant. That is, you weren't born here in Australia. You moved here uh, from a, another place. There's half a dozen of you in the room. That's true. And you might have come from the States. There's a lot of Americans here. Maybe you've come from China. Maybe your family has come from South Africa like my family did. I still remember what it was like in 1988 when my family immigrated to Australia. I remember being at Cape Town Airport and my mum and my auntie weeping as they said their goodbyes. I remember flying on the aeroplane and stopping in Paris and expecting to have a night's accommodation that was connected with our ticket that wasn't booked. And so we spent all of our money purchasing a hotel and then having no food for 24 hours. I remember going to the airport really early with one long French stick of bread and having to wait 12 hours till our plane arrived. I remember landing in Sydney and walking around Darling Harbour for the first time and being struck by how beautiful our city was. I remember starting school at Kiraville Public School in Wollongong, coming from a state school in South Africa where I wore a tie and a blazer and a hat and garters under my socks and had a nail check every day. And here I rocked up to this public school in Wollongong and they wore these things called skivvies and sloppy joes. And I was like, what the heck is this? You pajamas, you guys wearing pajamas to school. It was such a foreign concept to come to a different culture. Now, if you've come from a non-English speaking background, that jump for you is even greater. If that's you, then then you can enter into this story that Abraham is on in a unique way. But maybe you've been on on holidays, you've traveled outside of Australia, you've experienced what it's like to be a foreigner in another culture. You can identify with Abraham's story. Our hope in this series is that your faith would be strengthened, that you would be built up. Our hope is that you would walk with God in faithful obedience to his promises that he gives us in the scriptures. Our hope is that you would learn to live in that gap between reality and promise. It's where we all live. We live after the resurrection of Jesus, awaiting the final consummation of the kingdom, awaiting the fulfillment of those promises. We have received, but we have not yet laid our eyes upon. And so as we journey with Abraham, who's in that same boat, we learn what it looks like to live in the gap between promise and reality. Our other hope is that we would spotlight the character of God in this series. His wonderful saving grace, his entire sovereignty, his perfect plan and purpose, that we would see how wonderful our God is through this series. And finally, we want you to see that Jesus is the hero of every single page of Scripture. That as we preach through this story of Abraham, it's actually not about Abraham. It's about Abraham's descendant. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. In fact, if you remember the, the, the story that Jesus has when he's walking along the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 with two of the disciples, and he opens the, the law and the prophets, that is all of the Old Testament, he says, everything that has been said in these pages, I have fulfilled. They're all about me. And so we want to show you as we walk through the Old Testament that this is part of God's unfolding plan to bring redemption, to bring healing, to bring blessing. In fact, you'll remember our series on the story of God. 
creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So where are we in that story as we come to Genesis chapter to, to Genesis chapter 12? Well, we've been at the creation, Genesis 1 and 2. We've been at fall, Genesis 3. Genesis 3 to 11 is this downward spiral of sin spinning out of control. And then we get to Genesis 12. It's the moment that God initiates his plan to reverse the curse of the fall and to call his people to redemption. And so we stand on the precipice of the beginning of God's plan of redemption here in Genesis chapter 12. The central character in this story is a man called Abram or Abraham. You've already heard me going between the two. It's very hard to say Abram when you're so used to saying Abraham. But Abram is his name as we're introduced to him. He's a 75-year-old Iraqi pensioner. He is. The name Abram means the father is exalted. And after an encounter with God, God changes his name and gives him a new identity and names him Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. We're told in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, that Abraham's father, his name was Terah, which means the God, the, the God of, the, of the moon. He's named after the moon god of Ur, of the Chaldeans. This is a family that does not worship Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. In fact, in Joshua 24, verse 2, we're told that Abraham and his family worship other gods. They are pagans. Abraham is married to his half-sister, Sarah. Kind of a bit weird. And she's a total hottie, even though she's really old. She's in her mid-60s, and everyone falls in love with Abraham's wife, half-sister, Sarah. We're also told in Genesis 11.30 that she has no child, that she is infertile, that after all of those years of marriage, that Abraham and Sarah have had no children of their own, even though their family is very large. Abram is given the nickname the Wandering Aramean. In Deuteronomy 26, he, the, the writer of Deuteronomy calls him the Wandering Aramean. And the tent really is the symbol of Abram's journey, his, his life, that he lives this vagrant, dare I say it, rambler-style life as he journeys throughout the Middle East following God's call on his life and his family. It's impossible to deny the significance of this character, Abram, both historically and biblically. Abram is the father of three of the world's largest religions. Christians look to Abraham as the father of their faith. Jews look to Abram as the father of their faith. And Islam also looks to Abraham. He is the central figure in all of those religions. Well, maybe not in ours, but definitely in theirs. plays a crucial, important role. He is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. The Old Testament God is called the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is referred to by nearly every New Testament writer. Jesus speaks of him. Paul speaks of him. James speaks of him. Luke speaks of him. He's the first ever person to be called a prophet of God and the first ever person to be called a friend of God. Abraham, the wanderer. This is a true story. 
a true story that actually happened. Archaeology has confirmed all of the cities and locations and places that we will read about in these coming weeks. You can walk the dirt that Abraham himself walked on. It is modern-day Turkey. In fact, we still have descendants of Abraham's family, the, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, and Biwa is one of those people. He grew up not that far from Ur of the Chaldeans. His family heritage shares in this story. There are people who are still alive who can trace their lineage back to this city of Ur, a city that you can visit today, not without some danger, a city and many religious artifacts that ISIS right now is trying to destroy. This is a real story about a real man, the Wanderer. This is going to be a fascinating, gripping, gut-wrenching journey as we walk with Abraham. We're going to see promises and doubt and risk and deception and faith and provision and testing. And so I invite you, as we embark on this journey, to, to come with us and to, as it were, walk the paths of the Middle East and follow Abraham on his journey as he wanders around, living in the gap between promise and reality. But today, I want to help you see that it is by faith that we step into God's plan and promise to bless the whole world. It is by faith that we step into that. And it all begins with God's initiative. This is everything that he does. Have a look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You know what's astonishing about this is Abram's not waiting in the wings. He's not sitting in church with the Bible in his hand and training under his belt, waiting for the call of the Lord upon his life. No, his family is in Haran worshipping the moon god of Ur. That's astonishing. That God's plan to bring redemption to the whole world, to reverse the curse of the fall that we've seen in Genesis 3 to 11, begins with a 75 year old Iraqi pensioner and his barren wife. That's amazing. That's God's grace. There is nothing attractive or deserving about Abram. This is pure sovereign grace. God initiates, God reaches down, God calls. And this is the foundation of this story. In fact, this is the foundation of every story we will see through the pages of Scripture. Grace. You see, if we think that Abraham was just a nice person, maybe a bit like your grandpa, sweet, lovely, nice, we're mistaken. Abraham is an idolater. He thinks not of God. He does not worship God. And yet God reaches down and calls him and his family. As he does with Israel, as he does with you, as he does with me, this is grace, pure, unexplainable 
amazing grace that God gives. The story begins with grace. So in God's grace, he calls Abram and he gives him this astonishing promise. Amazing promise. Now, as I, as I was reading these, these verses, Genesis 1 to 3, 12, 1 to 3, all of the people are reading saying, these are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible. Definitely some of the most important verses in the Old Testament, if not everything. And so I'm really feeling the pressure of making sure we understand the weight and significance of what God says here to Abraham, because these promises are wild and outrageous. Have a look at what God says. Go from your country to the land that I will show you. And, and here we go. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are four, maybe five promises that God makes there to Abraham. The first is for a nation, that there would be many people that Abraham has fathered, that his seed would be the people of God, the people of Israel. That's why many of you who grew up in Sunday school grew up singing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Yeah, you get it, right? He is promised that this whole nation would come from his loins. He promised fame, that God would make his name great. And here we are, 4,000 years later, still talking about Abraham. God promises blessing and protection. And you might want to call those two separate promises that he promises to bless him, he promises to protect him, or maybe that's an umbrella term, whatever. But God promises here to bless Abraham. And that blessing that we see here, that word bless, occurs five times in these short three verses. Five times. Now, the reason that that's significant is because five times in the prior narrative from Genesis 3 to 11, God has called down his curse as a result of the fall. And so what we see happening here in Genesis 12 is God saying, these five curses I'm going to reverse by blessing you, Abraham. Bless, 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 bless. This is what Eden was supposed to be about. Abundance, joy, living in connection with our Creator. God says to Abraham, I'm going to do that. I'm going to undo the curse by blessing you. And finally, land. Land. In verse 7, you'll see that God says to Abraham, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. The land that God spoke of was the land of Canaan, which would later become Israel, when Joshua and the troops would march in and conquer the land and claim it in the name of God. It's, in fact, the same land that the Middle East is still fighting over right now. And unfortunately, what both Jew and Muslim have missed is that God's promises for land have moved on from a geographic location, from a patch of dirt on the earth to a spiritual reality. That Jesus comes and says, we're not going to worship God on this or that mountain. In fact, our worship of him will be in spirit and truth. 
that what lies ahead for us is not inheritance on the earth, but that Jesus has said, my father has many rooms prepared for you, that there is a new city, a new Jerusalem that will come out of heaven prepared for us. But for now, God promises Abraham land, a patch of dirt in the Middle East, nation, people, fame, blessing, and land. But there are some very serious obstacles to these promises that God gives. You'll notice there's a few hints to that in the narrative. The first is that the land is occupied. And if you realize that, when it says, the, and, and the land would be yours, and the land was full of the Canaanites, they were there, the land is occupied. The offspring promise is kind of tricky because Abram's 75, Sarah's in her mid-60s, she's infertile, there are no offspring. And we see that they encounter famine. There's no blessing. And so even as we hear these promises roll off the lips of God, we're encountered with the reality that doesn't seem to match up to what God has promised. So how does Abram respond? How will Sarah respond? Well, initially they respond with faith, with amazing faith. Have a look at verse 4 again. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went as the Lord had. That's so matter of fact. He went. That's huge. Abram's family is massive. They've got cattle and livestock and children and grandchildren and servants and slaves and horses and carts. And that's a massive undertaking. And it just says, Abram went. And the reason I think the writer of Genesis does that is to help us see that despite how big that was, it was an act of faith that Abram stepped out and gathered his family and left his home, his city, his comfort, his culture, his retirement plan, and he went. He journeyed. That is faith. Now, that word faith is screaming for a definition in our culture. See, faith is not, as some have told you, believing something that really deep down you know is not true. That's not faith. Nor is faith simply just believing God is real. That's not faith. Faith has an object. The object here is God, and He is reliable and dependable and trustworthy. And faith is active. Now, what, it wouldn't have been faith if Abram just decided, mm, yeah, nice word, Lord, but I'm pretty comfortable here in Ur. And we're just going to hang out here or we're going to just hang out here in Haran and, and, and just chill with the family. That's not faith. Faith required Abraham to do something, to step out, to go. And so Abram went. Faith is simply trusting that what God has said is good enough. That God knows and therefore I will go. God said it. I will go. But you know what's crazy about this faith of Abraham is that God didn't even tell him where. He didn't even tell him where he was going. Have a look at verse 1 again. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Where is the land? I'll tell you. 
You know, when, when we want to trust God, we want this like 10-point itemized plan from God. Like, all right, God, um, give me the, 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 the life partner and the job and you know, call me to that city and, and, and please put your rubber stamp and bless my ministry and then, God, I'll trust you. Right, that's what we want. We want this, this itemized, detailed blueprint of a plan from God before we step out in faith. Abraham leaves everything his security, his comfort, his dreams, he leaves all of that to wander the desert of the Middle East. Now, I don't know if you um, like to go on holidays, and um, most of you would do one of two things. Some of you, as you plan your holiday, you will book the location, and then you'll figure out what you're going to do on Monday and you'll book a restaurant on Tuesday night, and you'll book a paddle and a cruise on Wednesday, and then on Thursday you'll book a day for reading by the pool and cocktails, and, then on fr- and you plan out your holiday, every little detail, and you take an itinerary with you, and you tick it off, and you scratch it off as you go. Some of you, on the other hand, book a holiday in Thailand, and you go for three months, and you book a hotel at the start, you book a hotel at the end, and you just figure out the rest in between. But you know what none of us do? None of us ring the removalists, pack the van, and don't know where we're heading. You get in the truck. All right, mate, where are we going? I don't know. It's part of the journey. <laughs> Off we go. Like, we don't do that. We don't do that. But Abram packs up his family and begins to go. He walks. You know, as we um, thought about planting anchor, we... Um, we spent a lot of time praying about where God would have us plan. In fact, some of you were on the core team in those early days, about eight to ten of you, as we prayer walked areas of our city, walking around different suburbs, asking that God would show us where he wanted us to plant this church. And I still remember as I was praying that prayer, people were getting impatient with me, like, all right, hurry up and make a decision. We want to know where to go. Where should we buy? Where should we rent? Where should we move? And I was trying to be really patient with God, which is really good. But I remember this moment of having this conviction from the Spirit of God that what I was really waiting for was that God would put his rubber stamp of approval. That if God showed us specifically where he wanted us to plant, that of course it was going to work, it was going to be successful, and lots of people were going to come. And I remember being convicted by the Spirit that that's not why God had called me to do this. God had called us to this irrespective of whether it would work and be successful in the eyes of the world. Sometimes God calls us to step out in faith, not knowing what the end of the journey looks like. And it doesn't always turn out well. God never promises nor owes us the full picture. We don't need to know the future to trust God. That's not faith. Faith is not knowing the 10 points of the step of the journey along the way. We don't need to know the future in order to trust God. We just need to know God who knows the future. And we need to know that that God is good and trustworthy and dependable, that his plans and purposes are perfect. Not that he spares Abram from mistakes and poor choices and suffering. God's plan is not to Bless you with a wonderful life full of comfort and 
God's plan is that you would walk by faith and obedience despite the circumstances. So we don't need to know the future. We just need to know God. Throughout the scripture, Abram is held up as this example of faith, of someone who obeys God. In fact, in Hebrews 11 verse 8, it says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went and lived in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Faith is this deep, active trust in God. Not knowing the future, Abraham went. So let me ask you this question. Are you waiting? Are you waiting on God to just make sure that that relationship has been cemented before you'll ever be vulnerable and bold about your faith with a work colleague? Are you, are you waiting for God to maybe fatten the bank account a bit or, or, or just blow out the, the, the home deposit fund before you'll begin to trust him with your finances and be generous? Are you waiting for God to rub a stamp and bless the plans before you'll step out and do what he's called you to do? I'm not saying don't wait on the Lord because I think there is a good season of waiting particularly for those of you who seem to just get ahead of God often and, and just do. But I think for many of us, we're waiting. We're waiting for God to say, step one will be okay. Step two will be okay. Step three will be okay. Step When all God is saying is, here is my promise, trust me. And I'm with you. Here is my promise, trust me. I'm with you. Too many of us are risk-averse. And faith is about taking risks. I love this, po- this quote from John Piper in the small booklet, Risk is Right. He says this, Faith in these promises, that is, he's just been unpacking the promises of Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Faith in these promises frees us to risk and to find in our own experience that it is better to lose your life than to waste it. Therefore, it is right to risk for the call of Christ. He goes on to say the journey down the road of security and comfort, we will get there and put our hand to our face and say, I've wasted it. But the road that is full of risk and discomfort and trust, we will get there. And I forget the end of the quote. (laughs) Can we have it back up? The end of the road of risk, taken in reliance on the blood-brought promises of God, there will be fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Risk is right. Faith is active. You know, I think of um, many of my friends, both guys and girls, who have clung to the promises of God over their convenience, over maybe what their 
family tells them to. That rather than getting married or dating someone who is not a believer, they wait. They don't compromise their faith. They cling to the promises of God. They cling to the word of God. That says we're free to marry those who love Jesus. And they wait. And that's a costly wait, is it not? Some of you in the room are in that season of living in the, rea- in, in the gap between the promises of God and reality. God never promises that he will provide you with a perfect spouse. In fact, he doesn't even promise you that he will provide you with a spouse. But what he does call us to in his word is to pursue people who love Jesus like us. That's faith. That's faith. And so I want to honor those of you in this room today who are in that moment of waiting. That is faith. That is active faith. Well, Abraham's faith manifests in bold worship of God. You'll notice on this journey, it says twice that Abraham builds these altars of worship. The first altar has profound significance in the flow of this story. See, Abram journeys through this place called Shechem and arrives at the tree of Morah. This is a, 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 um, a really profound moment in the narrative because this whole story is about how God is going to bring a nation out of Abram and Sarah, and they can't have any children. And so here they are. They rock up to this place called the Oak of Morah, which they think is a, a shrine a shrine to the fertility God. And so the people would come to this giant tree, this teaching tree, and ask that the God of fertility would bless them with children. Abraham arrives and he sets up an altar to the Lord and he worships God there and he defiantly and boldly says, God is the one who is in control. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who blesses. That's faith, bold Defiant worship of God, despite what the people around him would think and say. But despite the going, despite this bold worship of God, Abram's faith gets shaky very quickly. So let's pick up the narrative back in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. We we don't really know the exact time frame between verse 9 and verse 10. But chances are there's some time in there. Famine hits the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, to journey there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is your wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So... Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. What blessing. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? 
Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So God promises that Abram would be a blessing to the nations. And Abram and Sarah experience famine, and so they go to Egypt because there is a gap between God's promises and the reality that they're experiencing. This is the first of many crises of faith that Abram and Sarah will encounter. Some of them, they nail it. Other times it's a flop, and this one is a total flop. Both Abram and Sarah in this narrative are not partial to the odd white lie, the odd half-truth for the benefit of security and convenience and comfort. And what's happening here is that Abram is banking on an Egyptian cultural practice that honors the brother of a woman and blesses the brother of the woman if you were to take that woman to be your wife. And so they hatch this little plan that as they walk into Egypt, they will say their brother and sister, which isn't entirely false because she is his half-sister, born of his father, yet not the same mother. And we'll see this happen again a few chapters later. So they hatch this plan, and the problem is it backfires. Because it's not just any old man in Egypt that wants to take Sarah to be his wife. It's Pharaoh, the king. And what would have happened is that kings would take women to be their wives, multiple, multiple women, and they wouldn't marry them straight away because they want to make sure they're not pregnant before they marry them. And so these women wait for nine months to a year in the king's harem. And here, as Sarah waits, the Lord inflicts plagues on all of Pharaoh's house. And we don't really know how, but maybe it's that Sarah is the only one who's not plagued. But Pharaoh finds out and he says to Abraham, you deceived me. You deceived me. You might stand back and think, what a jerk Abraham was. I mean, I think if that was me, and another man wanted to take my wife, I'd probably, I'd, I'd rather die. I'd rather die fighting than just be like, yeah, cool, you can just take my wife. And you think, what a, what a lousy husband. <laughs> what happened to that faith? And Abram went and he built altars and worshiped the Lord. And then here he is, oh, you can take my wife and put her in the harem and just, we'll see what happens. It's weak faith. Abraham and Sarah are supposed to bring blessing to the nations around them, and instead they bring curse. They bring plagues. But isn't it a relief to know that God's plan does not depend on the perfect faith of Abram? God comes through, he sorts out the mess. In fact, he blesses Abram in the process. You think, what, is God condoning this? Not necessarily. But God ensures that his plan, his perfect good plan will not be disrupted. That Sarah will not fall pregnant to another man. Because he has planned that their child, that their children will birth a nation. God knew that Abram would mess up, that he would make poor decisions, and he chose him and called him anyway. And isn't that true for all of us? 
that you would fail God a thousand times. And yet right there in the midst of your failure, God's mercy is there to meet you every single time. Isn't that good news to know? That God's plans and purposes don't rest on the quality of my faith, on how well I can exercise it, on the fact that I make good choices instead of poor ones. This plan is not dependent on me. It's dependent on the God who is dependable. But what I want to do is take you back to that final promise that God gives Abram. That promise that, that through him, because of him, all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's a promise that Abram never really saw with his own eyes. He didn't really see the nation. He didn't really set his feet on the promised land. Yes, he had this little burial plot in there that was his, but he didn't own it. But there was one many, many years later, a seed of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham who came. And his name is Jesus. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. The promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3 is the gospel. That God has a plan to bless all of the nations through him. That this man would undo the curse of the fall. That's the gospel that's announced here in Genesis 12.3. And the gospel is for everyone. And so if being connected to Abraham is about being caught up in the promises of God, the question is, How are we connected to Abraham? If we're not connected by descent and lineage and ancestry, how are we connected? And Paul's answer here in verse 7 is that we're connected by faith. It is those who are of faith who are sons and daughters of Abraham. God promises to bless all the families, all the nations of the earth through this one man, that everyone, would be declared right before God based on grace. Based on grace and received by faith, just like Abraham. See, Abraham becomes an example of salvation by grace through faith alone. Abraham is not accepted because he wondered well. Abraham is not chosen because he was worshiping God and equipped and ready. It's grace. It's grace. That is as true for us as it is for Abraham, as it is for any other character in the Bible. We are caught up in the fulfillment of this promise by faith. But but faith in what? What do we mean by that? Specifically, we mean by faith in Jesus, by trust that Jesus is the one who fulfills that promise to Abraham that the curse will be reversed. 
that Jesus, by dying on the cross, became cursed himself in order that we might receive the blessing of God. So what Paul says a few verses later in Genesis, in Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. Isn't that crazy? That Paul is writing here and saying that promise that God made all the way back then to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one. He is the one who will reverse the effect of the fall. He will reverse the curse by becoming a curse to dispense the blessing of God on you. That's staggering. Even as you think this is one big giant story that interweaves and interlocks itself together. What a beautiful narrative God has written for us. That God would bless all of the families on the earth through Abraham and that we step into that blessing by faith. The message of Jesus is that we step into God's story, his plan to redeem all things. We step into that by faith. And so I want to ask you this morning, which side of that fence do you sit? Do you sit on the side of curse or do you sit on the side of blessing? Because Jesus is the one who has come to bless all people, to reverse the effects of the call by of the fall by dying for your curse and sin to set you free. Which side of the fence do you sit on this morning? On the side of blessing, being caught up in the promises of God, or on the side of curse? God is calling you by grace to receive what Jesus has done for you by faith, that is to trust in it, to depend on it, that that is what justifies you, that that is what makes you acceptable before God. The other thing about this promise to Abraham, that that through him all the nations would be blessed, all the peoples would be blessed, is that Abram has been blessed in order to be a blessing. The blessing does not terminate on him and his family. And if we share in that, if we are Abram's children, descendants of him, then that means that we're not only recipients of this blessing, but dispensers of that blessing as well ourselves. That means that God's church is his mission strategy for the world, to bless the world, to call all of the nations to worship Jesus. That is how he will affect that. You'll notice the call of Abram in Genesis 12. Go. Go. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. Does that sound familiar to you? When you get to Matthew 28 and Jesus commissions the disciples, he says, go, or or rather as you go. Make disciples of all nations. God's heart, God's plan, God's purpose has always been to call all people, everyone, back through Jesus by grace. And the final thing about this promise, that if we are children of Abraham, if we have been caught up in God's blessing, that means 
that we are there by faith, that we ought to be people of faith, just like Abram was. He is our example of radical faith and obedience. And is it not true that we ourselves are wanderers? We have heard the promise of God that there is a city that lies ahead for you, that Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms and God is preparing a room for you. And yet we do not see the city. We do not see the house. We do not see the kingdom. And so we live in the gap between the promises of God and our current experience. And we live there as people of faith, trusting God that His Word is true, that His promises are good, that He is trustworthy, that we can risk everything for the cause of Christ. We are a people of faith, that we would walk by faith just like Abram did. Because that's our, our prayer, that this series would accomplish in us a deepening, growing, abiding faith in the promises of God. And so as we come now to a time of response, we're going to remember a promise that God made through Jesus. And that promise is that for every single person who puts faith in Him, they are washed clean. And this meal that we celebrate is a tangible reminder of that. The bread and the wine, the grape juice, symbols of Jesus' body and blood that were broken and shed. And so we invite those of you who love Jesus to come forward and participate in this meal together as an act of faith that we believe the promises of God, that we have been set free. And we're going to praise God in song. And we're also going to respond in prayer. Our prayer team will be up the back corner there. If you need prayer for anything, if you want to give your life to Jesus today and say, yes, by the grace of God, I am in by faith and our prayer team would love to talk to you and pray for you. If you have any need whatsoever, they would love to pray for you this morning. And so I'm going to invite us all to stand, church, as we pray and respond to this great God by faith. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the God who is certain, dependable, that your promises are true. We thank you that you are the God who has this incredible plan, Lord, to bless all of the nations, that we would be recipients of that blessing through Christ. God, we thank you that we are caught up in your grand plan and purpose for this world. Lord, we want to be a people of faith, a people who trust you, a people who take risk, a people who listen to your word and cling to it, And so God, we pray now, please stir faith in us. Strengthen our faith. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus.